0: I felt super puffy back, I mean, over a year ago when I was doing cardio at an hour, you know, and that, that's how I would equalize it in my head too, is I would eat, you know, my six Krispy Kreme donuts and all the other food that I'd have in that day. But my payoff was, like, Oh, you do cardio for an hour, but it didn't really help. Would you try <laughs> the calories on the machine? I mean, not really. I just okay. was telling myself, if you're on the bike. You can eat your donuts. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another episode of primary care. I'm your host, Dr. Hendricks. a board certified family medicine physician. <laughs> this episode of Primary Care is sponsored by Rougiette Health, more than just an ED treatment. So in case the the audience isn't familiar with who you are yet, Dr. Eric Miller is back with us. And today we're going to be talking about some health and wellness myths that we've kind of seen from patients and heard through the grapevine as well. And I think there's a ton of topics we can dive in. So what would you say is like one of the most common myths people walk into with, um, in
1: regards to obesity oh, and so many, I think the first one that comes up is regarding exercise. Gotcha. Do you remember, do you remember the, the show, the biggest loser? Do you remember yeah, that show? Right. Yeah, they absolutely. would like crush them in the gym Yeah. and people have this perception that weight loss happens in the gym and it, it, it doesn't, They've, we have large studies showing, that it does not
0: happen there yeah and i think that was something that my partner and i learned the last couple years as we've changed our diet dramatically and seen such a change in our bodies and now we work out maybe half as hard truly mm. you know spending half the time that we used to be at the gym cardio for at least an hour and then work out for an hour plus now we spend 30 minutes cardio maybe 45 minutes lifting but tailor our diets completely different yeah so is that something that you find difficult to to get patients to transition to? Because for me, it was much easier to spend more time, at least initially, in the gym, than to sacrifice my donuts.
1: <laughs> I, again, there's something called the weight loss registry, and it's a it's a, it's a a very, very large, tens of thousands of patients who've lost, it, I forgot how much weight, and they've kept it off for X amount of years, and they found consistently that exercise right. is not a weight loss tool. So we're talking specifically for weight loss, right? We're not talking other- Health benefits. Right, other health benefits. But <clears throat> specifically for weight loss, Exercise doesn't cause weight loss. So exercise is a maintenance tool, right? So when you lose at, you know, 30 pounds, whatever your goal is, to keep that weight off, from because our body's very good at gaining weight, not very good at losing weight, right. that's when exercise is really paramount, because that's it's a maintenance tool, it's not a weight loss tool. So when people go to the gym, crush it, not getting results, get very discouraged, it's another thing that they can check off that doesn't work, right? That's right. why, because it's that's not what it's for. Right, that makes sense. And yeah. so what should they be doing instead? I, I used to tell my patients when I first would see them, nail down your nutrition, nail it. Like you should be so comfortable with your nutrition that it, that's almost like not a thing. Right. Then let's talk about adding some exercise. Now, if, if you found exercise to be very good for a stress reliever, for sleep, for other benefits, great, but don't hang your hat on losing weight, go into the gym. Right. That, that's my it. philosophy. Sure. Nail down your nutrition.
0: Yeah, and so when you're nailing down your
1: nutrition, is there a place that's best to start? I have a simple question to ask everyone. Can you do this sustainably? Right. It's all that matters. So like, if you want to do keto, cool, but I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to, and for the most part, I don't know if I believe the answer always, but can you do this forever? Right. If you can't, it's a diet, and it will fail. Exactly. So it has to be sustainable. Whatever you choose gets to be sustainable. I don't don't care. Um, But I think we also touched upon last time, I also believe starting really small. Right. Right. So let's eliminate the things that we know are a problem, juices, sodas, even milk. Let's eliminate those things, eliminate the junk food if we can, and then let's go meal by meal by meal. Let's go really slow like we talked about last time.
0: Yep. I tell a lot of my patients too, I'm not a big fan of shakes and smoothies and stuff, and there's some benefits to all of them. There's vitamins and minerals you can get from a smoothie, and obviously protein shakes carry nutritional value to them. But for me, I try to avoid drinking any of my calories just because it's just kind of like this sort of policy I've made for myself that I'm able Mm. to stick to. Um, But it really stemmed from the fact that previously I was addicted to sweet tea, like could not live without it, had it multiple times a day, would drink it in five seconds, get a refill, do the same over and over. And you forget those calories because they're in liquid, right? You just, it's just, I mean, for me, at least I was having trouble Incorporating that into and adding it into what I was actually consuming in a day, and so as I started like slowly, little by little, like you mentioned, very slowly um, transitioning away from sugary drinks, sodas, milk, it did make a huge difference. You know, and, and I think a lot of patients don't realize that that soda you have with every meal can be skipped. You know, and it can make a huge dent in your weight loss journey. Mm-hmm. Do you? Find that there are other things other than like sugary drinks, which for me is always like the first go to with patients that you recommend. Like, hey, also cut this out. This is also an easy, I know it's. Yeah, yeah. I,
1: mean, I mean, it does play a role, but artificial sweeteners for me are awful. Yes. Awful. Right. Like, in terms of a weight loss journey, I mean, there's still implications. I think it does, they show it does increase sugar cravings. Um, so that's a big one for me, is artificial sweeteners just for general health and wellness. Right
0: but yeah yeah i always heard with artificial sweeteners that you know so your tongue is receiving this the first taste of anything sweet, right? And so that is not just where the process is happening in the beginning. It also is preparing your stomach for the sugar load. It's preparing your body for all the sugar changes that are about to happen in your bloodstream. So when you have aspartame or stevia or something that's a a sugar alternative, and it gets to your tongue, of course your tongue can't tell the difference. It, It tastes sweet, so it tells your brain, and it tells your body to prepare for a sugar load. Maybe you're drinking that Diet Coke, your stomach is eagerly awaiting this load of sugar that never comes. So then you get hungrier. So not only is it that you are now avoiding the sugar, of course, which sounds like a good idea, but your body is waiting for that sugar load because it's already still prepared for it from the tongue to the stomach, You know, basically also aligning with the fact that sometimes when you have a, a sugar-free soda, you may be hungrier, you may eat more. And we do see some data that shows that patients that are using diet Coke or drinking you know diet or uh, artificial sweetener based drinks, they do typically still struggle with losing weight and mm-hmm. sometimes gain weight, yep, so definitely not the best thing to be adding to the body and and you know I, I always too tell patients and it 's a new journey for us is. I, I, we keep like 75 to 80% of our diet just fresh produce, which is not easy to do. It took us a very long time to get to that place, but we eat a lot of salad and we eat a lot of things that are raw and fresh. And it's made us feel completely different than we did before. I feel like I have more energy, despite not having a, drinking as much coffee. Um, I feel like my fitness journey is a lot easier as well. Like I mentioned, we don't have to work out as hard to see physical changes. I feel like it's a lot harder for me to gain body fat than it used to be. And then I can still go out to dinner like we did this past weekend and have a, a meal, you know, and not be so conscious of it because throughout the week, you know, we're dedicated to following, you know, I don't, I don't want to say diet, but just our dietary normalcy, I guess, or yeah. what the structure we've made.
1: So that kind of leads me to the next, again, I'll kind of say the next sure. thing that comes up a lot is, um, is people thinking or this question of, I have a low metabolism, right? So the reason I bring that up is because I've created and I encourage people to create a system in their body where they can, it's more forgiving. And what I mean by that is the more muscle you have, more forgiving. So muscle is everything. Right. So when people say my metabolism's low, like I guess I want to address that a little bit. So metabolism is stem, stems predominantly from our basal metabolic rate, right? right. So basal metab- metabolic rate is based on muscle, almost purely based on lean muscle. So if we want to increase our metabolism, when people talk about this metabolism, like it's a thing, right. it's based on muscle. So how do we get our metabolism higher? We maintain or increase our lean body mass, so whether that's by increasing our protein intake or by doing weight-bearing resistance, bearing exercises, that's how we do it. So that's more, that's, and we'll get to another part that I want to talk about too, which is cardio, Yeah, right? Cause cardio can, can kind of sacrifice your muscle a little bit. So for me, muscle is really important, Sure, more muscle, more forgiving, more, you can actually be flexible in your lifestyle because your metabolism will be higher. So I, I guess we should touch on that a little bit, what yeah. exactly metabolism is.
0: Yeah, and so um, I definitely talk to patients about this a lot, especially in hormone replacement therapy. You know, testosterone can influence our hypothalamus and can, can slightly increase our metabolic rate, especially if you have low testosterone. So I always am kind of referring this to our patients. Um, and that, you know, your metabolism can be definitely changed depending on certain, you know, disease states, low testosterone, you know, having problems with your thyroid, things like that. But in the general healthy population that doesn't have these issues, your metabolism is your metabolism. It is what it is. You can change it by being healthier and making healthier choices. And so like you mentioned, increasing that muscle mass, increasing, um, obviously, th- and I guess this is kind of where exercise does play in a, in a role in that maintenance. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So making sure patients do know that it is important that once you get and it it can be a part of your weight loss journey, but it's not going to get you there
1: by itself. Yeah. So uh, for for listeners, basal metabolic rate, you may or may not hear about that. It's basically if you laid in your bed all day and didn't move, your body will still expend X amount of calories and it's based on preserving your lean muscle. Right, so that's really what basal metabolic rate is. When we talk about metabolism, that's where it comes from. So, you're bringing up so many other myths. I know. know It's like when (laughs) are now wanting to dump other myths. Let's do it. So many others. Like the first thing people typically say when they're gaining weight is, and they come to the doctor is, what do they ask for? What test do they ask for?
0: Oh, and you check my hormones or my thyroid.
1: Yes. (laughs) Oh, the poor thyroid. Everyone's living with thyroid, right? Yes, yes. Immediately, thyroid, thyroid. It's always a thyroid. Right. And it's often not.
0: Right. It's really not. It's. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's too. Just that it's one of those, um, I think, conditions we heard a lot a lot about a lot in the last 25 years. A lot of people we can all probably say we know someone that has a problem with their thyroid or have heard someone in their family say, oh, I have problems with my thyroid. Um, I have even patients that are always trying to push me to increase their thyroid hormone level like to the maximum to where their TSH, which is like the screening and, and range tool that we use to determine if the thyroid hormone is appropriately dosed. Is that like the the level where it's just barely normal, you know, just hoping that it's gonna help them lose weight. And it never does. Yeah. And I try to work with them to try to show them that it's not going to make too big of a difference it's just going to make your heart beat really fast and you feel more anxious and then they typically present with those symptoms you're right I do feel more anxious now let's go back to what my dose was before and um, you know definitely I think in severe cases of hypothyroidism where your thyroid is not functioning whatsoever yes absolutely it can be a a problem but that's not the majority of population
1: or the majority of patients that present to us yeah I remember when I when I worked in the outpatient setting it was like multiple times a day, yeah. can we please check my thyroid? I'm gaining weight. and 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 to the listeners, it's um again, this could come across as as harsh, and some people might be challenged by this, but that that alone is somewhat of a reflection of our lack of accountability, right? Because True. it's usually something we're doing. It's a choice we're making. It's our dietary decisions. It's our lifestyle decisions but we wanna find something to label it outside of ourselves or inside of ourselves, but outside of our choices, right? Like right. I had this thyroid thing. right? It's often not the case. Right. And that's, I mean, that's really, for me, the hallmark of wellness is is choice and accountability. Like even for people, and we'll talk about diabetes a little bit, but you know, I don't intend this to be harsh or to be belittling or in any way. But usually, let's say talking about type two diabetes, sure. it predominantly stems from our choices. you know. And we'll talk about, Genetics versus epigenetics, because that's a topic I do want, that's a, a myth also I want, I'd like to touch on, but it does, right? And it, so what's beautiful about that, though, is we always have the power to change it. Absolutely. A lot of patients, Tom, should present with you, especially if you were
0: um, working in obesity and that was sort of the target audience that you were seeing, they, they look at a physician as someone who's going to sort of hold their problems for them, and a lot of times hold their medical problems for them, including obesity. So they come to us, say, this is what I have, this is what I can work with, now you tell me what you can do with that. And that's not, we're not magicians, right? We can't pull things out of our hat and we can't take the limited resources that you're able to do and give you a solution that's going to really work for you. Sure, we'll prescribe you Ozempic or sure, we'll give you a higher thyroid hormone, but it's basically like a diet. You're going to do this for a certain period of time and not make lifestyle changes and all of that weight's going to come right back. Yeah.
1: So. I think you said a great, and I love that, kind of thought that we are not magicians. We're not wizards, right? And, and I think the actual root of the word doctor is teacher. We're educators. Right. That's really what we are. We're educators. We have uh, a foundation of information and we can process information and we can give, we can educate the people who are in front of us, but we're not the gatekeepers to the yes or no of the medication. We're not problem solvers, right? But, right. but I think we become almost this belief that we are. We're really not. We're just educators for right. the, at the foundation of what we are.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And then too, you know, we all have different specialties and different knowledge and different um, points of view, different things that make us unique, which is great about being a physician is that you can bring your personality into it and really uh, put that into your patient population. But for patients out there who are looking for advice and they go to their provider and the provider is 300 plus pounds and living an unhealthy lifestyle, smoke cigarettes, which is totally fine. All these things are great. I, do what you wanna do, it's your life. Um, but they go to them for fitness and, and exercise and diet advice and you know they're not gonna get what they're looking for. Yeah, there's us so. disconnect there. Add us on Instagram at Primary primarycarepod. Catch up on past episodes and don't miss out on new ones. Subscribe to the podcast on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify at Primary Care Pod.
1: We're here just to just shed some new light and maybe give different perspectives on myths that are really floating around. These are commonly held things are talked about everywhere and they're perpetuated, I think, from a place I'm not sure where, but we just want to... You know, shed some light, different perspective on them. Absolutely. So let's jump into cardio only okay, cool. because cardio is such a big part of my fitness routine. I mean, cardio is a great warm-up. Yeah. Like, if you're going to go lift, cardio is a great warm-up, get your body moving. But in terms of how much, how many calories we burn, right. we way overestimate them. I think there was a, uh, a statistic I heard once is that to burn a single three-calorie M&M, you basically have to walk or jog the length of a football field. Wow. It says three calories to, right. and go a whole football field. Was 100 yards, right? Not a big sports fan, but I think that's what it is, right? Yep. Um, <laughs> Me too. So we far overestimate how many calories we burn. Right. right? So, so when people get on there and the machines lie, right. you get on the elliptical on the treadmill and it says you burned 1,000 calories. I'm so sorry. Right. I'm so sorry. You, you didn't. <laughs> okay. And then the other thing, and this is what really, um, you know, there is a concept of sarcopenia. Are you familiar with, with sarcopenia? Sarcopenia.
0: I'm assuming it has something to do with either muscle or bone being broken down. <laughs> so
1: I see this a lot, particularly, and again, I'm, I'm going to say we see this present, you know, typically in women. So, and I hate this term, but I'm going to use the term because I think it's a commonly known term. Sure. The term skinny fat. Skinny fat. Yes, yes yes, right. yes, yes, So what sarcopenia is, it's a higher percentage of fat to lean muscle. Gotcha. So oftentimes, what people don't realize is doing too much cardio and not enough lifting is that you will burn, your body will burn fat, your body will also burn muscle. So just like we talked about before, you're lowering your metabolic rate by losing muscle mass, then your metabolic rate is lower, and then it's gonna be easier for you to put on weight harder to get it off. So and if you do excess cardio, first of all, I think there's, A lot of drawbacks to excess cardio, one being, again, sacrificing some muscle and potential for sarcopenia. The other one is, what people don't realize is, so your body doesn't know the difference between good stress and bad stress, right? Right. So excess cardio, so doing cardio for like 45 minutes to an hour actually raises cortisol. I believe that. So cortisol is a stress hormone, and cortisol causes fluid retention. Right. So people will start to find that they are not losing weight, they're gaining weight. I don't get it, I'm doing all this cardio an hour of cardio. Why am I gaining weight? Why am I not losing weight? Well, that was what was happening to me as well.
0: Um, I I felt super puffy back. I mean, over a year ago when I was doing cardio at an hour. You know, that that's how I would equalize it in my head too. Is I would eat you know my six Krispy Kreme donuts and all the other food that I'd have in that day. But my my uh, payoff was that like, oh you do cardio for an hour, but it didn't really help. Would You try the calories <laughs> on the machine. I mean, not really. I just okay. was telling myself, if "You're on the bike. You can eat your donuts." Gotcha. <laughs> I would get sweaty, and I definitely right. You're sweating. Had to right? burn. You like you're doing something. Yeah, but I was just as fat
1: as I was probably before starting it. So
0: and so, you know, there's
1: there's a pitfall. So the cardio. I think cardio. There's a benefit, but I think it's not the most bang for your buck. Gotcha. And the other thing, and I am a big proponent of weight training, and the reason is the afterburn effect. Right. Exactly. So it, if what. If you don't know what the afterburn effect is, when you step off a treadmill, whatever calories you're burning, it's done. Turns off. Yep. Done. Right. When you lift weights, maybe like a circuit training style uh, lifting, right. You know, whatever you do, uh, your body will actually burn calories for I think it's up to 72 hours. Right. So um, you know, if we if we were to write a prescription. To patients, it's lift every three days, right? Because you want to make sure you're getting that exactly. that afterburn. So there's such a bigger bang for your buck. You're you're right. building and hopefully maintaining lean muscle, and you're burning way more calories, right? Way more calories, specifically in a in a circuit training style training pattern.
0: And so now, of course, onto the the notorious diabetes question. Yeah. That uh, you know, my parents had diabetes, or my grandparents, or it runs in my family. So there's
1: no way around it for me. Yeah. Um, That's common. <laughs> yeah. So, so the question, oh, just to reframe it again, is, I, and I would get this a lot, right. where patients would come in and and they, and they would say, "Well, I, I'm a type two diabetic because my parents were type two diabetic, diabetic and their parents were type two diabetics. So it runs in the family." Right. And we'll talk about the genetics versus epigenetics. But what I tip my typical response is, and and some people really don't like this, is that diabetes isn't hereditary, but we learn to eat from our parents. We learn to eat from our parents. For sure. They learn to eat from their parents, right? So the way I describe epigenetics versus genetics, so genetics, and I was thinking about this today as I was getting ready, it's like like you're building a car, right? You're building a car and there's lots of options. You can choose the options, but let's say you didn't choose the auto stop-start there's still a little space for it in the car, right? right. So the space is there, yeah. but but you don't have that option. Exactly. Let's say with diabetes, your parents built that vehicle, and diabetes was an option, right? right. There's a button there. You have the choice through your choices. You can either turn on or not turn on that option, that button. Yep. That's epigenetics. So we have a ch- we have genetics. We have predisposition. We have we have switches that can turn on or off certain conditions, conditions, diabetes, mm-hmm. what have you. Through our choices, we either turn on or don't turn on those options. I
0: feel like honestly, we could have our own show, just me and you. Let's do it. I know. I mean, who knows? Who Opportunities knows? available That's in right. the future.
1: That's right. We can serve people, let's do it.
0: Yeah. And I feel like too, you know, we we um, it's just nice to hear physicians talk in a different demeanor and, and be a little bit more straight to the point. I don't know how to talk
1: in doctor. I know. I lost I don't it know how. and I don't want it back. I talk. I, so I like to, to pride myself on being accessible because I don't, know, I don't remember how to talk in doctor.
0: Yeah, and that's a, that's a, yeah, me too. One day we'll have to talk about our experiences with other doctors. Let's do it. <laughs> well, thanks again. I appreciate your time and I look forward to having you back soon. Thank you.